Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Good to see you guys at the 11. Uh, my name is Bryant Lee, pastor here. Uh, in two weeks, I'm so excited about this series, uh, and our creative team has gone all out and having a ton of fun with it. The third week, October 29th, is Halloween Spectacular. So we have a ton planned for kids. So if you have a friend that's got kids, uh, warn them that if they come and bring their kids and they don't want to come back, that could be a problem because their kids will want to come back. Uh, but it's going to be an incredible day. And we have a ton planned um, outdoor experiences for adults. So it's going to be a lot of fun this month. Don't miss the 29th. Don't miss the opportunity to invite. And this is just what we do as a church. Because one thing to be grateful about potentially what God's doing in your life, you're new to the church thing after a long time away, which is a lot of people's stories. But it's another thing to share that with somebody else. And so that is an incredible opportunity. Be here. Don't miss it and bring somebody with you because the stories all the time, including baptism stories are, and then somebody invited me. So that's, that's you. That's me. Let's take advantage of it. Um, and when I was in middle school, uh, about 12 years old, I think, we went to camp. How many of you guys have been to like um, church camp as a kid? So I don't know what your church camp looked like. So when our kids now and CC students go to camp, they stay at like the Hilton on Daytona Beach. Um, when we went to camp, uh, it was in the middle of nowhere, Florida. And I mean nowhere. Like you had to drive and drive. And, you know, when you're about an hour away, it's like, I know there's no people that live here anywhere. Um, and we would be in a cabin that was like block walls, like you're in a penitentiary, uh, concrete floors, uh, rodents that, you know, all, you had to be in these like group showers, which is, that's a whole nother message. <laughs> Never been into that. Um, and just the camp experience, it was not my favorite. Um, but I had to go every year. And I remember one particular camp counselor, at the end of every night, he would tell all these ghost stories. And at 12, I think I was like 12, 11, 12, you want to pretend like, it's no big deal, I'm, you know, I'm 12. And I was completely fascinated. This guy was a good storyteller. Um, and so we would all go to sleep with these like, I don't know, eight guys in this cabin. Um, it's about, you know, 111 degrees. There is no air conditioner. So we're like, we're not at the Hilton. And he's telling all these stories and I'm fascinated and then, like, by night two, I'm like, I'm, and I'm kind of terrified. Like, I'm kind of terrified. And, every, and I know everybody else was the same way, but they're trying to play it off. And then I remember being right by the window. And there, actually, there was no window. It was a screen. Like, just a screen. And you would look out, and it just looked like a scene from Deliverance. Or like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Or if there's going to be a Dateline NBC about a church camp where everybody got murdered, this is the church camp. And so I was just terrified the entire week, didn't love it, um, but just played it off and acted like it was no big deal. Well, then my kids were kind of similar, so I would constantly introduce them to things too early, which my wife has to help me with. But one, I thought, like, well, it's fine. They were, I forget how old they were, but I was like, we're going to watch, like, Disney, Halloween, whatever. So here's just a little warning. Old school Disney, I'm talking about, like, 1950s Disney, it's a tad dark. Like, it's a little, it's a little, it's different than Disney now. So they watch this whole thing. It's like a haunted house or whatever. And it, toward the end of it, there's some spooky guy. And they bake Donald Duck in pies and like stick him in the oven. And no joke, man, my oldest boy was traumatized for two years. I couldn't get him to watch anything because Donald Duck got baked in pies. And it, like, it was, it was a whole thing he had nightmares about. My whole point in all of that is, uh, and maybe some of you are into that and that's cool. But the whole subject of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, it it's kind of feels like that. It feels a little spooky, which is why we decided October for this series. Um, it feels a little weird. It feels a little voodoo-esque. Like, what is the Holy Spirit? Is it a Jesus ghost? Like, what? There's so many, like, differing opinions. And just another thing, when I was a kid, they used to always talk about, well, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And that was not helpful. That was terrifying. Like, think about stuff that, there's nothing ever good that lives inside of you. From tapeworms to the poltergeist, like nothing good. And so I was like, oh, the Holy Spirit lives inside you. No, I don't want that. So the whole thing, and even today, when it's specifically the term Holy Ghost, I just think like weird snake handlers 
handkerchief waver. Like it just feels like something not accustomed to, which is the problem with this topic. This is why I want to talk about it for three weeks. Because generally people's introduction to this is always on the extremes. And one extreme is like a little bit over the top, a little bit potentially over emotional, a little bit weird. Um, in some cases, almost using the Holy Spirit as manipulative. So I went to a Christian high school and that's a whole nother thing and series, and we would have a chapel every single uh, week, I think. And at the end of the chapel, sometimes they would have a chapel speaker, and like these were speakers, like they would, they would speak and yell. And um, they would get into the message, and then they would give like an altar call. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you come forward, and they had steps and a red carpet, because everybody had red carpet, um, and big flowers down front, and they would invite everybody to come forward, and they would sing whatever. Well, I remember several times um, distinctly, they would sing like three versions, three verses of uh, Just As I Am, or whatever, I Surrender All, and nobody would come forward. And then whoever was like the preacher guy, like he would just get mad. It's like, well, I don't know what, blah, blah, blah. he'd start berating everybody, and so they're like, let's sing it one more time. And so they would sing it, and guess what happened when they sang it one more time? everybody came forward praying. And then I will never forget. They're like, look at the move of the spirit of God. I'm like, that's not a move of the spirit of God. We want to go to lunch. (laughs) Like you just yelled at us. I, no joke. I would be down front and like looking around, like what's the appropriate time to stay here before we could go back. So there's that side of it where it just becomes weird and manipulative. And then there's the other extreme in terms of this subject of the Holy Spirit. We just don't talk about it at all. And honestly, there kind of becomes no expectations and no emotion and no power. And so what I want to talk about for a few weeks is something that I think actually this subject is unbelievably relevant. And I want to hopefully connect the dots for you. Um, About two months ago, my kid's shower was like not working right. And so I had to replace all of the fixtures in it. And by saying I had to replace is kind of a joke. Um, but I thought, like, well, I can figure this out. I, I, but just so you know, I'm not the handiest person in the world generally, but I'm like, I'm smart. I can do this. How hard can it be? So I bought all this stuff. I started ripping stuff apart. And I realized that you had to, like, the shower valve or whatever, you had to change this whole huge mechanism. And so when I got it off, I'm like, this thing, I got to, like, knock out tile. It was already kind of above my head. Now it's way above my head. So I just start, like, maybe there's a way I can get this thing out without removing the tile. So I start unscrewing stuff and screwing stuff and jacking with stuff. And all of a sudden, like you would see in a sitcom, water just into my face and it's a crisis. So I start yelling um, to my wife, Nicole. I'm like, hey, you got to turn off the water. And she's downstairs. Well, how do you turn off the water? Where's the water? So I'm trying to yell to her and our neighbors and then yell out the upstairs window, trying to get her to, to get the water off. And so finally she gets the water off. We have a flooded upstairs um, bathroom. And then I realize about two days later, as I walk in to my um, master bedroom, like walk-in closet and look to the right behind the clothes, there is a nicely constructed little door right there that you can just open up and do what I was trying to do on the other side of the wall, but I had no idea what I was doing. And I've been that way, especially when it comes to like trying to do something at home where I quickly try to get into it thinking I can figure it out and I find out I am way into over my head. And here's my point in all that. You have felt that way. I have felt that way in regard to life where you get to the end of something or in the middle of something and you just recognize I need help. For some of you, you had a very romantic view of marriage and then you got married and realized this actually is gonna be work and you need help. That's great, but it, it might be work. You are in a phase where it felt like your kids got to be teenagers overnight and now nothing you say is relevant and you're kind of not sure where to go from here. Some of you, like financially, you overinvested, and now it's a little bit of a crisis, and you're not sure how to get out of it. Others of you, you, you're leading something, and you promised, hey, we can do that, we can do that, and you have no idea how to do that. Others of you, you're trying to beat or move past a habit that's just kind of owned you. Everybody gets to a place where they just recognize, I need help. Like, I can't do this. I do not have what it takes, and I'm not sure. And then here's the thing. All of that applies to faith. For some of you, that's kind of your story of faith because you began to follow Jesus and you wanted to be all in and you recognized that not only did following Jesus not make your life easier, that initially maybe it made your life harder. And you're like, I'm trying to align my relationships and my priorities and my money and what I do with my time. And I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to follow. And you got to a place where you're just like, I, I don't know if I can do this. Like, in fact, a lot of us have gotten to the place to go, I can't do this. 
And then you start to question, well, maybe I didn't take, or maybe I'm, I'm not that guy, maybe I'm doing it wrong, maybe there's something wrong with me, and you start to consider just walking away from faith altogether, but everybody gets to that place, and I don't even know many of you or online or via radio, I just know that's a human thing. And here's the thing that's incredible, as we'll discover, that's why this subject of the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, is so incredibly relevant, because God, and specifically Jesus, is not surprised by any of that. Then, in fact, God made concessions or had a plan for that very dynamic that we all feel when we get to the place to go, I just need help. And I cannot do this on my own. Like, I need something more than what I'm working with. And what you'll find is, as you look at this, this topic, is that Jesus made a very specific plan for this. Many of you know the story when Jesus was with his disciples, his inner circle in the upper room hours before his betrayal and then crucifixion. And he's with his guys, and they're terrified out of their mind. They don't know exactly what's coming, but they just know the walls are closing in, and they're in Jerusalem, and suddenly they're not popular anymore. At one point, Jesus was a rock star, and all of his disciples, they got the benefits of that, but now that's not the case. And so they're in with Jesus, going, okay, Jesus, it's getting a little terrifying. I don't know if you know, but we got people that are after us in Jerusalem. We're right in the heart of this whole mess. And so here's what we know. If we're with Jesus, I think we're gonna be good because we've watched you do stuff. We've watched you give sight to the blind, raise the dead. I mean, turn water into wine. A lady got healed simply by touching you. So Jesus, we're leaning in and we're just wondering what's next. And Jesus does the most incredible thing in the world with his guys who are terrified. And he's like, hey guys, I get it. In fact, it's gonna get really hard, I know. So here's what I wanna promise you. I'm about to leave. And they're like, whoa, 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 what do you mean you're about to leave? Like with you here, we've got some hope that we can endure this. But come on, if you're gonna leave, what chance do we have? And yet Jesus is like, no, no, no just trust me. I'm gonna leave. This is such a crazy statement. And then I'm gonna send you guys something better. In fact, here's how Jesus said it in Luke chapter 24, verse 41. And now I will send the what? Holy the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised you which is a crazy statement. Things are at its worst. The walls are closing in. People are after our life. Hey, it's gonna be fine. I'm gonna peace out, but I'm gonna give you something better. And they're like, better than you? Better than the guy that raises the dead? What are you talking about? Yeah, I'm gonna give you the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that the Hebrew word all the way back in Genesis, the origin creation story, is this little Hebrew word ruah, that the Holy Spirit, or Ruach, the very beginning of creation, was the one that helped start all of this, that started creation, that started to breathe life into human beings and all that God did from the beginning. And now in the New Testament, it's this little Greek word, pneuma, same word, that the very spirit that was present at the creation of the world with all of his power, all of his strength, all of his work, is the very same spirit, pneuma, in the New Testament that has been promised to every single individual. Literally, it means spirit, wind, breath, conscience, or basically the Holy Spirit is the invisible or unseen power of God. And Jesus, and he's like, I'm going to leave, but you're going to be fine because I'm going to give you the unseen power of God for convicting, for comforting, for empowering, and for guiding. And I need you guys to trust me. But as Jesus says this, he basically gives them a prereq. Okay, listen, I'm gonna give you something better than me, which is hard for you guys to understand. But here's the prereq for what I'm about to give you. And here's what he says. And now I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but do what? Stay. stay here. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with what? Power from heaven. This is so important. Basically, Jesus is like, listen, I know you guys are anxious. I know you just saw a dead guy come back to, to life, which, you know, that, there's some energy around that. I get you think how you have what it takes and you're about to charge and take over Jerusalem and you've got so much boldness and we can get this done and you're entrepreneurial, but I, I just want you to remember that. I want you to wait. Like, I have something that I'm promising you, but before you start to move forward thinking that you've got what it takes, that you can figure it out, that you'll have enough strength, because Jesus, Jesus would say to them and to us, you have no idea what's coming. So I want you, before you just decide you're gonna figure this out and do this, I want you to wait for me because the reality is if you think you can do any of this on your own strength, you are setting yourself up for failure. So his basically urgent kind of command to them was, okay, something's coming, don't do anything right now, just wait for it. I want you to wait right here and I'm promising you it's coming. Now here's something really interesting. Are you guys still with me um, at the 11 a.m.? Thank you. Um, 
one of the things that we do is we overestimate, and I get why, we overestimate the deity of Christ, you know, the fact that he's divinity God, which I understand that, but we underestimate his humanity. And I can't really explain this well, but when Jesus came to planet earth, he was 100% God with all the attributes and power of God, but he was also 100% man. He felt what we feel, which is why this is different than any other religion. No other religion is offering a God who came and kind of took up residence where you are to feel what you feel, to experience what you experience, to see what you see. God did that through Jesus. 100% God, 100% man. But one of the things that you have to understand is God never through Jesus when he was on planet earth used his power or his miracles to save or benefit himself. He always used his power or his miracles to benefit or to save somebody else. In fact, the writer of Philippians in the New Testament says that Jesus willfully and deliberately set aside all of his power for his benefit, which means... He did this on purpose, that Jesus decided that he was going to rely on the helper, which is the Holy Spirit, to empower him with what he needs, just like he's asking you to. That literally, as Jesus was on planet Earth, he set aside all of his divine power and attributes, even though he's still 100% God, and said, I'm going to do what I'm going to ask you to do, and I'm going to rely for the helper, the empowerer, the strengthener to give me what I need. And so Jesus was dependent on the Holy Spirit as he walked the earth. In fact, the scriptures say that when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, some of you may know this story. Others of you, if you're new to the church thing, you're like, all of this is weird. I get it. But he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, and it says that the Holy Spirit gave him the power to overcome that temptation. That Jesus, when he was being led toward Roman crucifixion, the scripture says it was the power of the spirit of God that actually gave him the strength to overcome, to endure that crucifixion and pain that we can't even imagine. And then, let me check this out. Jesus dies is embar- he's buried, they're embalmed, about to embalm the body. And three days later, the scripture says that it's Jesus who access the power of the Spirit of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, literally, to raise himself from the dead on the third day. That that's what Jesus did as he walked the earth. And over and over again, he relied on the helper or the power of the Spirit of God to do what God was calling him to do. So when Jesus is offering, hey, I'm gonna send the Spirit, the same Spirit that I've relied on, but I want you to wait for it first because here's what Jesus knew about them. Here's what Jesus knew about you. Here's what Jesus knew about me. That ultimately self-help is no help. If you think that you can get to a place where I'll figure it out, I'll overcome this, I'll fix it, self-made person, I'll figure it out, I'll get to where I need to get, I'll throw God in, you know, I'll do some worship songs, I'll sit in the seat every six weeks, I mean, whatever it is, like God will be a part of it, but I'm gonna kind of figure this out on my own. And Jesus is like, listen, if you move in the direction to think that you can do it, you are going to be in over your head because the reality is you need help. You cannot do this on your own. In fact, Jesus over and over again would, would kind of say, as my paraphrase, I came to planet earth 100% God, 100% man, and I didn't live in my power. In fact, I willfully gave it up. And I'm not expecting you to live in your power. And it's why it is actually, this is such a crazy statement, better that I leave so the spirit of God would come to live in you. Like, are you tracking with this just for a second? That literally Jesus who's standing in front of them is basically saying this, that the Holy Spirit inside of you is better than Jesus beside you. The very guy, like they're, they're at a meal with hours before his betrayal and crucifixion are like, no, 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 we've seen you raise dead people. We saw you that one time just start talking to nature and nature's like, yep, I'm backing up and obeying you. We've watched people just get close to you and, and they were healed. We watched you touch the lepers and any other human being would be, would be infiltrated by that disease. Instead, your touch brought healing to that individual. We have watched your power, your authority, your teaching. There's nobody like you, Jesus. Jesus is like, no, no, I know. But I've been fully reliant on the power of the spirit of God and now I am giving you that power. So we love the song Emmanuel at Christmas. I love singing it. God with us is unbelievable promise. But in this moment, he's actually promising something better. It's not just God with you. It's God in you. That God has now come in a person. And I can't really explain this, but God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, one God in three distinct persons. And he's, this is not an it. It is God sending the Holy Spirit, a person, to relate with us personally. And that God in us is actually better than Jesus beside us because 
All of the power at creation, all of the power that raised Jesus from the dead, all of the power that caused the blind to receive sight, all of that power, that strength, that endurance has been given to us in Christ that is not just God with us, it is God in us. And so Jesus is like, I want you to wait for it because you have no ability to do this on your own, but what I'm about to bring to the table is gonna change everything for you. And so he says, I want you to wait and the power of the spirit of God is coming. And then in Acts, it gives basically the continuation of Luke. Luke talks about the message and the life of Jesus and all that he did. And then he basically continues it in Acts. Acts is the 30-year history after the resurrection where he tells us what happens. That Jesus basically for 40 days meets with a ton of people. He's like, yep, I'm alive. And then he pieces out and does what he said. He goes to heaven and for 10 days, all of his disciples, about 120 people, just wait for God and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, this thing called Pentecost comes. Pentecost just means 50th day, where God is about to have this outpouring, this filling to fulfill this promise of the Spirit of God, God in them, not just God with them. And here's what he says in Acts chapter two, verse one. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames of tongues of fire appeared and settled each of, on each of them. And everyone present was filled with what? Holy the Holy Spirit. And they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability, which was crazy. So basically all these people are there and they start recognizing that other people are speaking their language that didn't know their language without you know, Rosetta Stone, they didn't take any night classes. They just start speaking other languages, like, what is going on? In verse five, at that time, there were devout Jews from what every nation living in Jerusalem. So basically, there's these people from all over the world that are coming to Jerusalem, which is kind of the epicenter, as they're celebrating Passover, and this thing called Pentecost is happening. And you have all of these converts to Judaism, and they're all there. So you have people from all over the known world, all of these different languages, and all of a sudden, people hear their native tongue. They hear other people who shouldn't be able to speak in their language speaking in their language. And so verse 6, when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, which that's what you do. And they were bewildered to hear, hear their own languages being spoken by the believers, those who are followers of the way, who placed their faith and trust in Jesus. And they were, verse 7, completely amazed. How can this be, they explained. These people, and this is such a shot, are from Galilee, which is basically the implication is these guys are from a rural area. They're uneducated. How is this happening? And then they say, verse 8, and yet... We hear them speaking in our own native languages. Translation, and this is how they thought in the first sentence. These are hillbillies from Galilee. How in, there's no way these guys are bilingual overnight, multilingual overnight. How is it possible this is happening? Generally, we can't even understand when they're speaking in their own language. There's things like fixin' and um, y'all. We have no idea what they're talking about. And now suddenly, they can just speak in us. the shot at people in Plant City. I don't mean it personally. Like... <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm just kidding. Um, but like, how is this possible? How do we hear our native language? And then verse 12, they stood, again, such an understatement, amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, and I loved it. Like, this is the, of all of the things that they could use to explain this, here's what they used to explain it. They're just drunk. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you. Fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. Like, these people are not drunk. And I'll tell you the greatest evidence um, behind this, why I'm assuming this more than any other reason, is because it's nine o'clock in the morning, which is way too early for that. Which, again, the Galileans have got to be like, are you serious? He's like, listen, I know these guys can throw it down in the back of their pickup trucks in Galilee, I know. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> But I'm telling you, this is not that they're drunk. This is not that they've had too much to drink. Instead, verse 16, what was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel, that in the last days, because by the way, every Christian has always thought it was the last days in every generation. Every time something happens, it's the last days. They were like, it's the last days. 2,000 years later, here we are. In the last days, God says, I will pour out what? My spirit. This is so important. Upon who? 
that everybody from this moment on, this is so important, who places their faith and trust in Jesus, who surrenders their life to Jesus, who believes in the message of Jesus, death, burial, resurrection, is filled with the Spirit of God. And the question is, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit of God? Because in this particular moment, there is a outpouring, a special, unique manifestation of the power of the Spirit of God as these people start all talking in different languages. But this is not the first time that the Spirit of God shows up. In fact, you see it all throughout the Old Testament. The first time is with a guy by the name of Joseph. And Joseph, you think you have family dysfunction? Joseph is sold by his brothers into slavery. He ends up rising through the ranks. Then he gets wrongfully accused, ends up in a dungeon, works his way up again, interprets the dream of the most powerful man in the world. And the scripture says, because of the power of the spirit of God over Joseph's life, that he gets the attention of the most powerful man in the world. And ultimately, he begins to set the stage for all that God's gonna do in the future. But here's what you find all throughout the Old Testament that makes this moment unique because Jesus has come to do something new. In the Old Testament, the spirit was given selectively and temporarily, meaning it was given to specific people for a specific task to accomplish that God had called them to. And now in this moment, Jesus and the apostles and what Paul would write is basically communicating all of this, a new day is here. Because now in the New Testament, the spirit is poured out universally to empower every single believer. That the same power the Ruah at the very beginning of creation, the same power that Jesus relied on as the helper, the same power that raises the dead, that gives sight to the blind, the power that has been a part of all of creation and all of the ministry of the Spirit, that God is offering that power, that filling, that strength to every single follower of Jesus. And in this moment, this unique moment, the manifestation of this, the evidence of this is supernatural. They could just speak in other languages. And God was doing something very specific that I don't want you to miss. The reason that God was kind of showing this off in Jerusalem during Pentecost is he wanted the world to know, unlike ancient history and unlike much of the religions today, this is not nation specific. This is not birth specific. This is not morally superior with your background specific. This is not about who you were born to, what you grew up with, what you know. Now God is offering a message that would be for all of the nations in all of the world for all time. And this is so important because you hear me say this, you're probably tired of it, that every single church, the benchmark, the goal should be multiracial, multicultural, multiethnic, diverse as you can possibly imagine because that was God's dream for the body of Christ from the very beginning. This is not just a message for you, whoever you are. This is a message for the entire world. And whoever embraces this message has the offer, the access to the filling and the power the Spirit of God, the same Spirit from the very beginning of creation. Now, one of the things, like just side notes, this is a whole series, is some people get hyper-focused on the gift. And again, it's very important to note, these were specific languages that supernaturally these people could speak. But some of you grew up in a tradition where it's like, well, if you can't do one specific gift, you have no spirit. And there's no spirit if you don't somehow inhabit this gift. The only thing with that is that is inconsistent with other biblical accounts. And in fact, if you were to study um, what the scripture says about spiritual gifts and the outflow of those spiritual gifts, that's not what you find. And I'm gonna speak to some of the hurt that many of you feel because you were in a church tradition that said, because you couldn't do this, some elevated thing, that somehow you don't have the spirit of God or you are less than or don't measure up or don't have enough faith. And it so wounded you that you walked away from faith. Just so you know, you can say this for yourself, you won't find that in the scriptures. This at Pentecost and from that point forward was available was in, was a part of every single follower of Jesus. Now to go back to the drunk part for just a second, I'll tell you why I'm drawing this connection, is Paul refers to this as well when he talks about another aspect of the filling of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians, and I'll tell you why he references it. In Ephesians 5, 15, he talks about this. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunities in these evil days. And all he's saying is, listen, in culture with what God's called you to do, you're not gonna get any help with this. You may be a sophomore in college, you're trying to follow Jesus and you're like, I feel like everything is working against that. Culture, the world, they're just naturally gonna work against the direction that you wanna go. And so he's like, be wise, recognize everything's working against you and don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what God wants you to do. And then verse 18, I'll tell you why he says this in a minute. Don't be drunk with malt wine 
And there's a reason that he, this is just an example. His point is not being drunk with wine, but don't be drunk with wine because that'll ruin your life. Instead, help me out, be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit's filling is universally for all and is so important and is given continually. Now, here's basically Paul's point. Stay with me for just a second. Paul's like, here's what I want you to know. Life's hard. Like at times life is beautiful, but you're not gonna get away from the fact that no matter how legit you are, how great you think your life is, life at times is gonna be hard. And Paul's like, I just wanna recognize what everybody feels. At some point, you're gonna run into something in life where you feel overwhelmed and you feel overpowered. And every single one of us has been there. We don't always wanna admit it in church. You may be right there right now, but we've all been there, overwhelmed and overcome. And Paul's like, here's what you need to recognize, that in that place, you are tempted to just escape. You're tempted to run. You're tempted to find something to feel better. And generally, when we wanna escape, we self-medicate. And Paul's like, listen, you've got a choice. You're either gonna position yourself to experience the filling and the power and the strength of the spirit of God when you need it most, or you're gonna try to run after some other thing. Because here's the reality. As human beings, generally, we're just happiness seekers. In fact, sometimes we don't even care what's true. We just wanna know what's gonna make us happy in our own minds. And when we don't feel happy, we want to feel better. And one of the things that causes us to want to reach for something is because you were not created long-term to live in this place, no matter how hard life is, where you just try to survive rather than thrive. Because if you're a follower of Christ, yes, the world is hard. Yes, the world is sin-infested. Yes, you're going to come up against things that will overwhelm you and overpower you. But you have the power of the Spirit of God in you. And so what Paul is drawing in terms of contrast is in those moments, you either either have the potential to lean into that power or to find an escape and self-medicate and put yourself under the authority of something else. In fact, you could just replace drunk with wine with drunk with something else. Like you might be drunk with Amazon. And you don't need to look at anybody. Just, I'm talking to you, eyes straight ahead. <laughs> You might be drunk, I mean, figured it, with weed, with cannabis. It's like your go-to thing. You might be drunk with Louis Vuitton. You might be drunk with Crumble. Anybody? Okay, bad example. You, Netflix, TikTok, Fortnite, with the Bucks 415 kickoff today, and one on to beat Detroit. Like, whatever the thing is, Paul's point is, like, everybody's got a thing. That, and somebody told me to give that example because they felt bitter that I mentioned Fortnite in the 9 a.m. So that's for you, Faith. So, like, the point is just this. Like, there's always something we reach for. There's always something that we're tempted to go after. There's always something that we want to use as an escape. And Paul's basically like, stop it. Don't ruin your life. It's not gonna help. And here's the thing. Most of the things that we run after could be characterized as appetites. I'm just talking about food. I'm talking about sex, achievement, trying to get your kid to get better, that relationship. I just need a little bit more respect. Whatever it is, they're like appetites. And appetites is the nature of appetites. They are never fully and finally satisfied. The more they are used in an inconsistent way with the rest of your life, the more you feed them, the more that they grow. And Paul's like, listen, I don't want you to go down that road because the reality is when you try to face life in your own strength, eventually, isn't this true? You will find yourself coming up against a dead end where you are overwhelmed and you are overcome. And when that happens, generally we do one of two things. We do like the Ephesians where we try to find an escape and self-medicate and we run after something that like it's gonna make it better or we decide we're just gonna double down and I'm gonna work harder. I'm gonna fix this relationship. I'm gonna beat this habit. I'm gonna be a self-made person. I'm gonna make sure that I get there. I I'm, I'm gonna become a workaholic. So the Ephesians just gave up. The Galatians were actually the people that doubled down and became workaholics of like, we're just gonna figure this out. And so here's what Paul says to them. If you're in that group, Galatians 3, 2, you received the spirit because you did what? believed the message you heard from Christ. I love how Paul writes, how foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the spirit, because the scripture says that when you, when you decide to believe that Jesus really lived, with, which no secular historian will doubt any longer, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose again historically. The scripture says that when you place your faith and trust in him rather than you, that he doesn't just forgive you, he actually gives you new life. 
He gives you his spirit. That God has come not as an it, but as a person to relate with us personally through the spirit of God with his power and his presence. And he's like, you guys received the spirit. You believed in Jesus. Why are you trying to become perfect? By your own what? Basically, why are you trying to do this on your own? Like at one time you believed you couldn't do this. You didn't have what it takes. You don't have enough strength. You can't save yourself. You can't make everything work out. And you recognize that you had to believe in Jesus, that you had Jesus' spirit, you had his strength, you had new life. Why are you returning to trying to figure all this out on your own? Why are you trying to make this work on your own? Why are you trying to do this by yourself? You were never created for that. You are in over your head. And so the question is just this for all of us. So how do you get there? Like, how do you access the power of the Spirit of God? How do you access the Holy Spirit if that really is true and the Spirit is continually working, continually flowing, continually offering himself for you as a follower of Jesus to not just be with you, to be in you? And Paul actually gives us the answer in Romans 15, 13 when he says this, may God, the God of hope, fill you with joy and peace as you, help me out, Try one more time. Let's try one more time. I'm going to cue you this time. Fill you with all joy and peace as you do what? That was good. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Spirit of God. Like, can I just make a cultural commentary? Like, how many Jesus followers in the current state of evangelicalism are referred to as overflowing with hope? And yet that's what you've been offered. That's what I've been offered. And I think sometimes, like we, we so limit the power, the spirit of God and what is in us. And I'm hoping that over the next three weeks that God will kind of give you a different perspective. But God's not just offering even to fill you with his spirit. He is offering to overflow you with his spirit. To basically flex his muscle and show off his power through you. And I think sometimes we get to the end of ourselves because Though we're dependent every single day of our life, certain times we're reminded of it in a different way because all of a sudden the relationship is really bad after being really good. Suddenly our kids were tracking really well and it's a difficult season. Suddenly we don't have as much money as we did three years ago. Suddenly emotionally we're not as healthy as we've been in the past. Suddenly we don't know the answer to this question. Suddenly we don't know how to move the market share forward. It's in that place where I think we kind of treat God like, okay, God, I, I, now I need some power. Now I need some strength. Now I need you to do something. In fact, I think we kind of treat God like a faucet. And it's as if the spirit of God is turned off. And then when we need it, generally when we're at the end of ourselves, we're like, come on, I need some of you. I need some power. I need some strength. I need you to show me the way. When I've kind of tried everything else and now I'm coming to you again. But that's not the picture the scripture gives us. The spirit of God, the filling of the spirit of God is continual. It's perpetual. It's always available. It's more like this. And if you're the glass, it's, hey, this isn't about asking God to turn anything on. God turned it on at Pentecost. God made clear to every generation, I'm leaving, but I know you can't do this on your own. And just like Jesus would say, I relied on the helper, the spirit of God as I walk planet earth. You're gonna need to do the same thing. But this isn't when you're in trouble and it's your end of yourself, you're asking for the spirit of God. This is at every moment, at every crux in the road, at every decision, at every overwhelming and just, I can't do it any longer circumstance. The power of the spirit of God is available to you in that moment. It's not God. God turning it on. It's you positioning yourself to receive it because God said, and God is not a liar, I have come to give you the power of the spirit of God in you. It's not just God with you. It's God in you. I'm not waiting to turn anything on. I'm waiting for you to access it. And we access, come on, stay with me. We access that power by positioning ourselves under God's authority. The reality is you live under the power of the authority that you position over yourself. For some of us, that's us. It's our ability to figure things out. It's our ability to work harder and make it happen. It's our ability to do what we gotta do and we're gonna fix it. It's us. But the reality is when you rely on the power over you being your authority, your ability to get it done, your ability to work it out, your ability to just keep grinding, you will live in that power. But you will also be limited by that power. 
And there will come a place where you will realize as hard as you tried, you don't have what it takes. You can't overcome it. You are in over your head. And the only thing that you'll have to work with in that moment is you. And so Jesus says, I want to give you the power of the Spirit of God in you. And that power is your authority. And when you live under that power, you experience the power of the Spirit of God in your life. You access it by choosing to live under his authority. One day, Jesus is confronted by a Roman centurion. And the centurion's like, I've got somebody at my house and they're sick. And I know that you've got something about you that's different, man, because the Roman centurion's like, I lead people because I'm a centurion. He's a guy that's in charge. And when I tell them what to do, they obey me and they do it. That's just what it's like for a Roman centurion. And I've been watching you, Jesus. And I recognize you got some kind of authority too. Not only do you have authority, but I can see that you, you, you have some kind of authority over you as well, that, that somehow God's with you and you are God and that whole thing is one. And I've never seen power like I've seen in you. And the Roman centurion basically is like, I want some of that. Whatever you have placed yourself under, whatever that authority is, I want some of that authority. In fact, the Roman centurion is like, I've watched you so closely. I know if you wanted to heal the guy that's at my house, you could just do it remotely. And Jesus turns to the Roman centurion. It's the only time in the New Testament he says this. Jesus was amazed by this man's great faith. Listen, this is so counterintuitive, but maximum freedom, maximum peace is found in positioning yourself under the authority of of God. The, the, the outpouring and the continuous flowing of the Spirit of God is through active trusting. It's getting in the place to go, I am completely surrendering my life under the authority of God. Like whatever you're asking in this area, I'm going to do it even though I can't see how it's going to work out. Whatever you want for me, I'm going to do it. Whatever step of faith you're asking me to take, I'm going to do it. I'm going to position myself under your authority. I'm going to obey you first rather than trying to control the outcomes of my life. It is God. I am obeying you. I am surrendering to you. I am positioning myself under your authority and then I'm trusting you with all of the outcomes of my life. Because here's the thing, every single one of us are gonna have a choice. We're either in those times when life becomes overwhelming and overpowering, are gonna depend on us, depend on what we're gonna reach for, depend on that self-medicating mechanism, or we're gonna depend on the power of the spirit of God. And here's the reality. All of culture will tell you success is found in independence. The American dream is autonomy and independence. Jesus steps in that and they go, no, no, actually the opposite. Your life and experiencing life to the full in Jesus is found in dependence. Giving up your independence to be totally dependent on the authority of God in your life and submitting yourself to him to go, God, your will be done. Whatever you want, even when I don't understand it, whatever you want, even when I don't know the outcome, whatever you want in this area where I'm holding on to what I want and what I think makes sense, I'm surrendering that fully to you. And Jesus would say to us, listen, I walked planet earth and I had all of the power of God, but I decided not to use it. I relied on the helper, the spirit of God to give me what I need. And if I did that, you better be sure you need to do that. And come on, here's, here's what Paul says. I'm gonna round it out. Romans 8, 11, this is the hope, this is the good news that the Spirit of God, the same Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. If every Jesus follower, everybody who's placed their faith and trust in Christ could just come around that idea, it would change everything. There's a continual overflowing outpouring of the Spirit of God is available to you in any moment, no matter what you are facing. And if you're in that place to go right now, I just feel so far from God. Theological impossibility. If you are in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, God is not just with you, God is in you. And because you don't experience it, because you haven't experienced that power and that presence does not mean it's not available to you. You just haven't positioned yourself under it. So some of you, I know you're right now at a place where you're like, I, I'm facing something that I cannot handle. And I don't know how I'm going to overcome this and I feel a little bit overwhelmed by this, but I just can't beat it. I can't make it right. I can't reconcile it. I don't know if I can keep following. I'm having trouble trusting God. I have a ton of doubts. I just don't see the road forward for me. And you are up against something right now where you are overcome, you are overwhelmed. And the promise of the spirit of God for every single believer is that he will empower you no matter what you're facing. And I think the starting point is that declaration of in terms of my life or this area of my life where you just know you need help is to go, God, I am submitting this fully under your authority. I think it goes something like this. I can't, you can, 
and you can through me. This area where I'm trying to make, I can't, you can, you can through me. You're single right now and you didn't want to be single and 22 and single was not your dream, but you know the only option you have right now is not God's will for your life and you're like, I feel behind everybody else around me. This is not what I wanted right now. I don't think I can keep doing this. You can't do it. You can't. He can. He can through you. You're in a place right now where you are like your God has called you to something and you're afraid to step out and there are so many excuses and so many reasons, but you know this is his step in this next season of your life. Like, I just don't have the courage. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I'm that person. And God would say to you, no, you can't do it. When did you think that you had the ability to do all of this on your own? You can't. I can. I can through you. Some of you, you're about to go home or you're about to go home tomorrow and when that garage door goes up, there is so much panic that sets in in you. Because it is not good right now. And there's like three different personalities and you don't know which one you're gonna get and you're praying for God to do something and you wanna be faithful and you're asking for a miracle, but you're at the place right now to go, I, I, I wanna be faithful. I just don't think I can do this. I don't think I can keep going. Of course you can't. And the starting place to submitting yourself under the authority of God for some of you is to just acknowledge what church people don't wanna acknowledge. I can't, but you can And you can through me. Others of you, you're facing a pregnancy right now. Maybe you're listening via radio or podcasting and this is not what you expected and it feels like what you had planned for this next season of your life is over and you're at a place where you're so desperate. I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can go on. I don't think I can face this. You can't. You can't do it. He can. He can through you. Right now you're in a career and it is so difficult because you're tempted to do something stupid and circumvent what you know is the right thing to undermine your integrity because you feel so much pressure right now and you're going, I just don't know if I can hold on. There's so much at stake. I have so much anxiety about the future. You can't. He can. By the power of the spirit of God, he can through you. Or or you're in a place right now where you have been wounded, you've been hurt and it's everything in you not to get back, not to grow bitter because bitterness feels like control and you're just hanging on to it and you can't let go and yet it's wrecking the other relationships in your life to go, I, with what's been done to me, I just can't let go of this. You can't. By the power of the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, you can. And he can through you. So wherever you're at today, what it starts with is I'm positioning myself under the authority of God and then I'm just reminding myself, this is just the starting place of what is true. God, I can't, you can, and your spirit can through me. And when I position myself under your authority, because listen, a declaration of weakness is an acquisition of strength. And the only way you're gonna tap into the strength of the power of the filling of the spirit of God in your life is to declare your weakness, to go, I don't know, but I'm surrendering to you and I'm putting myself under the umbrella and the authority of your power, your strength, your ruah, your pneuma, and I'm gonna ask you to do what I could never do on my own because I can't and I need help and you can and you can do it through me. And then as we close, I just want to say this if you're not a Jesus follower. And again, I get this whole message for you. It's so weird if you're not a church person. But it's so crazy how I can begin a message and 40 minutes later, what was weird and such a huge gap suddenly leads to, all of this makes sense and I believe. And that's not because of me. That is because of the power of what I'm talking about, the power of the Spirit of God. And so I I just want to offer you The same invitation to everybody who believes that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, he has promised to give you that same spirit in this moment, to fill you with that spirit. That the scripture says that Jesus came and lived a perfect life that we couldn't, died the death we should have died for our sin. And then we don't believe all this because the Bible says we believe it because Jesus walked out of a grave alive and documented in history. And it validated everything that he said, that the spirit of God will come and indwell you, will give you forgiveness, will give you new power that will save you, redeem you. And even if you, as I say all the time, stumble to the finish line of your life, if you have trusted Jesus as your savior, you will stand perfect and holy and righteous before God the father, because the good news of the gospel is not based on your performance. It's based on the performance of Jesus and the spirit of God is God's down payment in your heart. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never give up on you. And in this moment, this is your moment to go, I want that power. I want that spirit. I want that forgiveness. I want that life and God will do it. In fact, the scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
And so I just want to give you that opportunity. So with nobody looking around, if you would just close, bow your heads, close your eyes, just out of respect for other people, even if you're not somebody who prays or hasn't prayed in a while. And those of you who are online or listening via radio, and I just want to give people like first service, the opportunity to make this decision to just trust Jesus. And again, I say it all the time, there's no magic words. There's no formula. There's no specific lines or sentences you have to say. It's the declaration of your heart to say, I'm placing my faith and trust not in me, but in what Jesus has done for me. And I'm asking God to forgive me and give me his spirit and he'll do it. And you'll become a son and a daughter of God. And nothing will ever separate you from that love, that power, that spirit. And so right where you are, you can just pray this prayer after me. It's not the prayer that saves you, but I just want to help you kind of cement this in your mind. So in your own heart and mind, whether it's via radio or personally sitting in a seat, you can say, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And I believe that three days later, you rose again. And right now I'm trusting you to save me from my sin and to give me forgiveness and to give me your Holy Spirit. And so wherever you are with nobody looking around, if this is the moment that you placed your faith and your trust in Jesus to save you, to give you a spirit, would you just lift up your hand, nobody looking around and go, this is that moment. I'm placing my faith and my trust in Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just leave it up for just a second, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We just want to put a card in your hand. You don't have to do anything with that, but we just want to give you some information about this new journey. That's all it is. So just, if that's you, a bunch all over the house, you just lift up your hand and go, this is the moment that I'm placing my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ to save me and asking for his spirit in my life. One more time, if you just put your hand up there to go, I don't need to be ashamed of this. This is the moment And I always give a moment because sometimes the declaration of our heart needs a second to catch up with our courage to be able to acknowledge it. But I want that for you in this moment. So one more time, if that's you, all over the house, place your faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing in this moment. I thank you for saving, redeeming people, moving them from death to life, from darkness to light, move and work in a powerful way. I pray those in this moment that made a decision, like many in our first service, that you would cement that decision, that it's not about a feeling, but God, they just would get a sense of I'm God's and God is mine and he's in me and nothing is ever gonna undo this decision to trust Jesus as my savior. And so work in their heart, in their life, help them in having the courage to take next steps, to actually grow in this journey of faith, going public through baptism, getting a part of a local church, but God, just do your thing. And we pray all of this in Jesus' incredible name, powered by the Spirit of God. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.